If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We made this. Engage! T.L. Grey, hot. There are times, sir, when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders. What we leave behind is not as important as how we live. I'm Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Make it so. Welcome back, everyone, to Make It So, a dedicated Star Trek Picard podcast on the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host, Tony Black, and yeah, I'm back, actually, because last week I told you all, and I was intentionally, you know, I was being serious at the time that I'd be back after the uh, the, the rest of this season, uh, but as it turns out, um, Kurt, my co-host, is, uh, is on an emergency mission to capture Commodore O, before she arrives at the planet, uh, which is my cover way of saying he's actually had a bit of an um, uh, emergency situation at work, which means he can't actually be on the podcast this week, which is a real shame. Anyone who's listening now understands that we're in the middle of a global crisis right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. But if you're listening later on, um, that's a reason why it's all a bit chaotic for poor Kurt right now, which is why I'm stepping into the breach, once more into the breach. And I'm joined by brand new guest, somebody who is well-versed in Star Trek, and it's a pleasure to have on the show. I am with today, Amy Nelson. Amy, thanks for coming on. We make it. We make it? We made it so. We make it so. Make it so. I got there in make the end. Make it so. <laughs> <laughs> we make it so. Maybe I should just rebadge the network. Just call yeah. it that. Maybe. <laughs> Welcome, anyway. Well, thank you so very much. I'm very honored to be on and absolutely am loving what you are doing with We Made It. We make it so, we made it so, whichever one you're going with this week. That's, that's going to stick. We make it so is going to stick now, yeah. Yes. Um, well, thank you. That's really nice of you to say. You're, of course, a, uh, a pretty legendary Star Trek podcast yourself. You've got uh, Trek FM's Earl Grey, which you've been on. You're on uh, all, all kinds of, of podcasts on that network, and you've got your uh, podcast for the United Federation of Podcasts, all good things as well. So, uh you're, you're all over the place with Star Trek. Yeah, it's really so much fun. Um, and, you know, we got to meet in person. And we did. that was fabulous. So that's yeah. how I know you. I We went to the uh, Royal Albert Hall when they were showing Star Trek 09 and beyond with the live orchestra. Yeah, that was an amazing meetup. There were people there, previous guests on this podcast, Clara Cook, Duncan Barrett. Yes. It, was, it was ace. We had a, we had a really nice... That was yeah. last, was that last and summer, was that summer before, and Lee Lee Hutchison, yeah, 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 yeah who yeah, was on he's last been week, on. yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a proper uh, proper trek gathering. That was that last year or the year before. Now I think it was two years. I think it, it was, yep, a year before. Wow. Or, yeah, it was right before your wedding. Yeah, so that, oh, well remembered. Yeah, so that was two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Time flies. <laughs> and I, I, I'm pretty. I kept thinking this, Amy. Is this the first time you and I have ever recorded together? Because I think it is. You know. Oh my goodness! I think, I think you be. are right. What are the odds? How has that? How has that happened? <laughs> I know. After, I mean, I'm associate producer on Primitive Culture and loved when you were on uh, Primitive Culture with Duncan. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I have been on Primitive Culture, but it's only been mm. with Duncan. So yeah. yeah, this is our first. And it's a pretty good one to start off oh, with yes, this week. It is. Um, the part one of the season finale of Star Trek Picard, Et in Arcadia Ego, which uh, we're going to talk about in depth and pick through some of your um, feedback, guys. Um, and um, I've got some uh, great stuff to read on, on there. Before we do that, Amy, I always ask... Um, and I, I know you listen to the show, so you'll you'll know what I'm going to say. But I always ask new guests to come on to um, talk a little bit about what they've thought about the season as a whole, really. And obviously, as we enter the finale, you're in a good position here to sort of look back a little bit with those previous eight episodes. So generally, how have you enjoyed season one of Star Trek Picard? I generally have absolutely loved it. <laughs> in great. part because... <laughs> I just love the next generation so much. And I feel that what they're doing and bringing Picard back and all the Easter eggs and the, you know, going back to the themes of TNG and the storylines and the characters, it's just really a dream come true. I'm, and so there, I know nostalgia plays a heavy hand in what I say, uh, but I just can't help it. So, if I put that aside, I really do also enjoy the storyline um, of these synths and bringing back to the Romulans because I've always loved the Romulans. Um, I thought the Romulans should have been a little bit larger. Or actually, I thought the Romulans should have been like Insurrection. We sort of got it with Nemesis, but that was Remus, you know. So I'm glad to have the Romulans back in the storyline. Did you see uh, how... Somebody asked Michael Chabon in a um, Q&A recently about the Remans. And he, he said, oh, uh, that was a dream. That was all a dream. We uh, we all collectively imagined Nemesis and the Remans. They don't actually exist. <laughs> he just oh laughed it off. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Which is his way of saying, yeah, that was a yeah. bad idea. <laughs> Let's just forget that, shall we? Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's fair enough. I mean, you know, you... You talk about Trek in depth, you know, you can see the the analytical side as well as the fan side, as, as you know, many people who come on make it so do. But I think there is a lot to love about Picard, absolutely. And while, you know, we have been critical on various different points throughout the season, and I dare say we will be again at various points, it is, it is great. It's just great to have Star Trek on TV, isn't it, in this, and, you know, to have Picard back on TV. I mean, even when it's not necessarily been great tv necessarily i've just still every week immediately as soon as it's on i'm there watching it i've just been lapping up seeing patrick stewart back exactly and it is a great great time to be a star trek fan with discovery and the short treks and you know just all that's coming out of production is is really great and so to I think learn to appreciate the different styles and the stories that they're telling and know and understand that it's not going to hit every single person every single time, 100%, this is the best. So to learn to appreciate what is being produced and find the good and and criticize what you don't like, I think that's all very fair and expected as 
fans. In which case, let's talk a little bit about um, this part one of uh, the season finale. So, Et in Arcadia Ego is uh, the ninth episode of Star Trek Picard. First aired on 19th of March 2020 from a story by Michael Chabon, Ayelet Waldman and Akiva Goldsman and was written, the teleplay was by Michael Chabon and Ayelet Waldman. Following an unconventional and dangerous transit, Picard and the crew finally arrive at Soji's homeworld, Capellius. However, with Romulan warbirds on their tail, their arrival brings only greater danger as the crew discovers more than expected about the planet's inhabitants. Good old memory alpha and their handy little synopses there. Well done, guys. But overall, <laughs> um, before we talk about it in depth, Amy, what did you think of this episode and what would you give it out of 10? Well, I would give it probably uh, seven orchid flowers out of 10. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I love the progression of the storyline and the twists that we get in this episode. However, there were some situations and storylines that fell extremely flat and left me questioning why are they even in this storyline if and I'm sure that we will get into that as well so there was some highs and then some lows with this episode so seven out of ten. Oh uh, yeah I, I probably would agree I think I think that's pretty much a fair score maybe seven seven point five generally i i i did enjoy it i i i've admittedly and this 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 is my i'm i'm sort of step because i'm stepping into the breach for kurt i've only actually watched it once today so i've been on uh, on my first day of quarantine <laughs> and i managed to watch it normally i'd have to watch it either like really late at night on a thursday or i'd watch it uh, after i get home from work on a friday but i was watching it this morning and thinking oh great i'll just watch it once you know this time round so i haven't actually watched it twice so normally for these podcasts, if I've watched it twice, I've kind of formed an even more firm opinion about my score. But I think in uh, on an initial you know go around, yeah, I, I did like it. I thought it was a natural sort of position to put these characters after after the journey. I felt like there were there was a real the original series vibe to this episode particularly on Capellius when they beam down and they were all in like very sort of loose gowns and they're, you know, it looked like a 60s commune, you know, <laughs> that whole... That's funny uh, because I was thinking TNG justice. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is very TOS in itself in a way, isn't it? Exactly, Just updated. right? Season one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good comparison there, definitely. And it had a lot of... It had a lot of interesting elements to it. It, it twisted the tail in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that wasn't expected, although maybe we should have been prepared for this, really, you know, <laughs> given everything that's happened before. And, you know, it took a few surpri- surprising twists and turns. And, and I think it, 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 I've, I've seen, quite honestly, quite a lot of negative initial reaction to this episode. And I think part of that reason is it is burdened with the having to, you know, labour exposition and set up the second part which i think i suspect people will get a lot more out of so i think it has to serve two masters in that respect um and i, I think i enjoy it a little bit more than than others have from what i've seen obviously on our on your facebook group i've seen what those people have posted um our listeners um but since taking a step back on postcards on trek fm i really yeah, I'm not 
on the pulse of what people are thinking about as much as I was with discovery. Do you feel like you're just as a side note, do you feel like you're more into discovery as a, as a show than Picard? You know, that's interesting. I, <laughs> <laughs> because it's very difficult to not compare the two series. I'm doing it all the time and I need to probably stop. Uh, but <laughs> with some time, I really feel that discovery season one is better than season two. And I think I was a little too harsh on my original. And I think in part, that was a lot of me listening to what others were complaining about. And so I sort of picked up on that. Um, So it's been interesting to compare and contrast the two shows. And I, again, that's sort of why I said the intro, I just really believe these are two completely different styles of Trek and to appreciate them for what they are, because I would not, you're comparing apples to oranges with discovery and Picard, in my opinion. Yeah. I think, I think, I think there's definite truth to that. They are, they share some commonalities and I I suspect Kurt and I will talk about this in in our wrap up episode, but, they're, they are very different shows. You're absolutely right. And I think to try and directly compare them is slightly unfair. But I, I, I'm, I am really looking forward to a Discovery rewatch, which I intend to do of the first two seasons uh, before season three drops, whenever that starts, hopefully yes, fairly soon. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'm, I'm I... especially excited to see season one, actually, because it's been quite a while since I watched that. I know. So that's the thing. Like my friend has just started watching Star Trek um, in part because of knowing me. And so he's gone through all of Discovery. And so to hear him and, you know, say, oh, I watched this episode. And so I've sort of relived it through him. And it has been so (laughs) much fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can imagine. Definitely. That's cool. That's nice that they're enjoying it and they're getting a lot out of it as well. All right, should we dig in then and talk about this part one of the finale then? Should we do it? Yes. I was wondering if you had a chance to uh, research what Et in Arcadia Ego <laughs> was, because I did. Ah, right. Well, I promised to do this, I think, at the end of Nepenthe, and I completely forgot <laughs> last week. And after we'd finished recording, I went... Hmm. I didn't. I didn't mention that. So please do fill me in, Amy, on this because I, okay. I I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> it is translated into even in Arcadia, there am I, and this is a classical right. French Baroque painting by Nicolas oh, Poussin, sixteen thirty seven sixteen thirty eight is when they place that. Um, and what's significant is that Arcadia is in the is a landlocked city. It's not by the sea, um, and it's meant to symbolize a pure, rural, idyllic, utopia, merriment uh, of life. Right, And okay. there am I. The I is, again, loosely interpreted to be the shadow of death. And so we have this isolated idyllic, pure, utopia society, but we have the shadow of death coming. And that's what the painting is, which I just think once knowing that fits this episode so perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, w- I wonder where that, I wonder if that was Chabon who, came, who, who made that connection. My, you know, it, it might not have been, it might have been somebody else, but that's, that's really good. That's a really interesting 
aspect because because it is it is an episode which sort of counterbalance well the whole season's kind of done that counterbalance this utopia against right you know complete darkness and Mm -hmm. has tried to figure out a space in between the two so yeah thematically that fits good research there amy very well done thank you (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to make sure i was up to par on your podcast (laughs) oh well you would have been anyway but that's just that's got you a promotion to you know at least commander right. if not you know higher <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so yeah let's dig in on this episode then so yeah it begins with the the journey obviously at the end of broken pieces they zipped into the transwarp conduit and the last sirena was heading towards the planet and uh, they get there pretty quickly uh, i kind of expected a bit more of a journey through this through this conduit maybe i don't know if that was just you know i don't think it doesn't matter they get there fast you know they rattle through plot points fairly quickly in this episode to its credit but i kind of wondered if we'd have a bit more of a turbulent star trek the motion picture wormhole style (laughs) journey through that maybe well it's interesting because i'm not sure and i didn't do my research on this but i think this is the first time that it's mathematically given a proportion of traveling through this conduit like 25 light years in 15 minutes And yeah, like in the movies or, you know, previous episodes where they're going through like Voyager, like, I don't know that they've given a specific numerical value. So I find that interesting for my little mathematical brain. Um, (laughs) But what I also like about this scene is that they're traveling through the conduit and the camera focuses on each character and I think the expression on their face just we get another layer of their character like a greater sense of who they are going through this traumatic way to travel right we get Girardi Mm. she's freaking out she's like be over be over and (laughs) Picard I feel like with his look to me it was like almost nostalgic like oh I'm back in it again Um, with Rios, he was just sitting in the captain's chair, navigating with confidence. And Soji, I felt like gave this look that it was like, she was so hopeful that she's going home and what awaited her. And I just love how they showed that. And it was the briefest, you know, they just went through and pan through each, but I felt like it did so much to develop their character just a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I I particularly felt that with Agnes in that, yeah, she all through this, even with the twists and turns her character has taken, all through this she's made, remained consistently out of her depth in space, particularly having never gone there before. So, you know, leave. I, I'm pretty sure she hadn't left Earth before this mission. So imagine within weeks going from never leaving Earth to travelling through a Borg transwarp country. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's pretty much... That's like taking like somebody who lived in like the medieval era and putting them in warp speed like the day yeah. after, you know? And they'd be like, what's going on? So, you know, it's, yeah, that was, that was really good. That's a very good observation, definitely. I suppose it builds a bit of anticipation as well for, for where we're going to go. Because this is, this is it, isn't it? This is the climax of, of the whole journey because it has been a journey since the beginning since that moment you know Picard that Darge comes to Picard it's this is where it's all been leading really with all the twists and turns even if maybe towards the start of the season we thought it might be on the ball cube that you would have the climax of this season at the same time I think it makes sense that you know it's all coming full circle to another planet you know an undiscovered planet which is 
very much in the Star Trek, um, you know, mold of exploring new worlds, which is nice. Yeah, and I, I, I don't, I like that aspect of it that it is a first contact situation because because we haven't seen a lot of that really in Star Trek lately, have we? You know, in Discovery, there's, I don't really think there's been many of those really, or particularly in this way. So it's quite nice to have that because that's a very next generation aspect, isn't it? You know, like it, it was is. with the original yeah. series, you know, the first contact. So I like that aspect to this. Yeah, very much so. Well, obviously, the uh, they get through, they get to Capellius, and they're not alone because the cloaked Romulan ship that Narek has been in is on their trail and there's a little bit of, nice little bit of space combat. What, what did you th- think of this? Because I I thought there's I thought it was quite quite good this little battle between the Last Serena and the Romulan ship. I really enjoyed it, and mm. uh, I've watched it multiple times. And I'm really not one for space battles, but it kept I kept wondering like, well, if he's you know because they're shooting forward, and then like they think that his um, oh shoot when they phase and you can't see him. What's that called? Yeah, that they thought that his cloak was going down, but then he was like behind him, and it's like, wait, he was in front of him, and it almost made me think of the Picard maneuver in Next Gen, where like Picard was at two you know places at once because of the warp and da da da, because Narek was like in front of him. I think he was putting his cloak forward, but in actuality was behind him. And that's when he started shooting at him from behind. And I thought, my gosh, what what brilliant writing. And yeah, they were escaping and, and good. I, I really enjoyed it. I was surprised because I normally, like I said, do not enjoy those major high-speed camera yeah. shaking. You know, it's difficult to follow sometimes, but I really enjoyed this one. It's Space battles are funny, aren't they? Because there's there's quite a lot in Star, in Star Trek particularly in the 90s era TV shows that felt a little bit... As you get older, you realise they feel a little bit arbitrary and a little bit pointless in some ways. And, you know, the best space battles, not just in Star Trek, but in general, always seem they always inform something maybe about the character or about the situation, I think. And th- I think this had a little bit of that because it has that Romulan trickery in it because Narek ultimately is using a holographic projector as part of his cloak, which is... Something I don't think the Romulans w- had done in previous series. I mean, to be honest, the Romulans never really zip up, used to zip about in these kind of things, did they? They had the big warbirds that would come in and, you know, with their warp... What were they, like, black hole-powered warp cores, which I always thought was an accident, like, waiting to happen. You know? Right. <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you build your warp engines around a black hole? You know, I just thought that was nuts. Um, but But now they're like... They've got this. They've got even more of a sort of an espionage aspect, you know, a subterfuge aspect with these snakehead ships that they can project and trick and that kind of thing. So I think that was good. That was definitely you're right there. That's it was a nice way of doing it. And then there is also the the character point within this battle as well of Soji being quite happy to destroy him, you know, and Picard. Picard points out, doesn't he? He says, you know, there is a difference between killing an enemy who's attacking and watching a wounded one die. And I, I, I that was a, I thought that was a really nice little Picard moment, very much in the spirit of what he was like as a captain. Well, and it really echoes with what we hear later, you know, when Soji yeah. is trying to figure out, I don't understand, you know, to 
kill a life to save a life, like that logic. And so we we get sort of the introduction of that theme right here, right at the beginning. Mm, definitely. carries Yeah, it's a really good bit of writing that carries through a good foreshadowing for what's to come on the planet for sure yeah and and just a really good way to add some some drama to this and some character to this battle so i have a question so then the flowers come up and we have seen both of these ships like zip and zoom around you know escape flight pattern (laughs) alpha right (laughs) and then these slow moving flowers come up (laughs) and the La Serena is just sitting there. I'm like, what? Why are they not moving away? And then the flower Mm. slowly (laughs) envelops them. I'm like, did they lose all navigation? They, They didn't lose power until they were once enveloped inside this flower. So I had a question like, to me, that really stood out as to why did they allow themselves to be captured? I mean, outside of it being the story. Well, that could be it. I mean, it could be functional for plot purposes to get them onto the planet. My my, my only guess is that they were so shell-shocked by what they were seeing that Rios and none of the others really did anything because they were like, is that a flower <laughs> in space <laughs> what the hell so before they had time to do but it is it's a good question really and i i mean i suppose i can i can buy it pulling the i mean obviously the board cube has come through the conduit now as well the artifact and i can buy it getting hold of the artifact in a way because that's a big that's a much bigger thing that can't zip around like these ships can but yeah that is a good question i did i have to say though i thought this was a really cool way of getting them on that planet. You know, they could have they could have beamed them down. They could have been beamed off. They could have the ship just could have been hit by a torpedo and crashed. But no, you get these these orchids that are obviously a, a symbolic representation of what Maddox was doing on there with Sung and all these things. You know, creating these these uh, these life forms. And for them to literally pull a Borg cube into an atmosphere, I was like, oh, that's cool. I really like that. <laughs> I was like. That's really, really inventive. Yeah, so question for you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You another question. So Rios feels that the orchids and what they did was an attack. However, you know, they say, oh, they don't have any, you know, I don't think that they hate us or anything. But the flowers, I think, was a pretty benign yet efficient way to remove any danger to Capellius 
but yet still bring them down to their planet safely, but yet still remove that danger. So is that an attack or is that just their quote unquote transporter style? <laughs> it's a, Well, knowing how this ends, that's an even more interesting question, isn't it? Because if they've got this quite you know disturbing plan in place then i mean it's almost like a soft attack isn't it it's a (laughs) it's a it's a nice attack because they're just disabling the ships and bringing them down but it is insidious in a different way that the romulans are insidious this is a different kind of version of that it's the it's the dupe it's the you know we're actually okay and i suppose that's sold by the fact picard gets possessed doesn't he and then you get that voice comes through him saying thank you for coming everyone um well i don't i was going to ask you this because uh, did they explain this in this episode because i i was thinking about it and i was like i don't remember them giving an explanation for how that happens or why so the explanation that they give and we have gerardi you know scanning him with the old time tricorder um is that she discovers the and of course, it was never said iromotic syndrome. However, that's the syndrome that everyone is thinking in their head. But it is never said that, you know, it's affecting his cognitive abilities. And just at this time, probably a high stress time, that that's what kicked in. That's that's the explanation that I feel that the show gives. Can't However, when it, I first <laughs> saw it, Tony, when I first saw it, I was like, is this the Borg? Because he still has Borg yeah. implants, you know? And I was like, is this uh, like a Romulan mind meld? Like we saw Nemesis. Like yeah. I had so many things going through my mind and not one of them was Eremotic Syndrome. Eremotic Syndrome, because I, I, I've, it's been a while since I've seen all good things because obviously it was, it was in that episode, wasn't it, where we find that out about the future. You'll know this better than me. Was did, could that have been genuinely an explanation for why he sudden, this suddenly happened to him? Was it his he was he doing this because it really felt to me like he was possessed, like something was talking through him. I know that's what I thought, but remember, was that the second episode when he was talking to his doctor friend and he's like, "Are you really sure that you want to go th- go out there?" And he's like, "Yes, I'm sure," because of his his syndrome that he has Mm, mm. and and so it it is diagnosed it is on the record books it is starfleet knows about it and he knows about it he just doesn't like other people to know about it yeah and it's not said eremotic syndrome but in all good things in the anti-timeline the the you know the one the after timeline it's it's mentioned, but we know that one was created by Q. So there is definitely some syndrome that he has that is affecting yeah. uh, hallucinations and stuff like that. But so that's what they explain it. But I'm telling you, mm. it didn't look like that because no. you're right. I agree with you. It looked like he was being possessed, like someone yeah. was controlling him. But for what purpose and and why? And and because it doesn't seem like there's anyone on that planet or anything on that planet that has that ability. They're, yeah, they're, they're powerful synthetic beings, but so you know maybe this is the Borg. You know, let's let's not rule them out. Let's not rule out an appearance by the proper Borg yet for mm-hmm. some somehow. I I don't know if that will happen, but it's weird. It was weird. If if it'd be interesting to see if there's any explanation for this later because it stuck out definitely. Um, yeah, it, it did. And what I was thinking was uh, Sutra 
you know, as we see later, she manages to learn the Vulcan mind meld. But like in Nemesis, where that uh, Riemann was able to, you know, talk to Troy telepathically and like, you know, use his thoughts to control her inappropriately, I might add. But um, so I was... I, that went through my mind as well. Like maybe there was some kind of Romulan that had perfected that and was, you know, controlling Picard. Oh, yeah. It's all to play for. I I, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm very, very, very keen to see them pick up on that. Definitely mm-hmm. next week. We'll, we'll see. It was nice, though, when Agnes does... Uh, diagnose this that she does use an old tricorder and you hear that you hear the familiar tricorder noise from yes. the next generation yeah it's been so long since we've heard that <laughs> that was nice it that was, was cool. yeah like i said that's why this show just really speaks to me and my little fangirl heart <laughs> mm. yeah yeah i think what what i one of the things i think i like the most about it is that it really does in terms of the technical details I think they there is a real attention to detail in terms of trying to tie this back to the 90s era of Trek and that they they know they know the reference points they know the the the, the little bits of they, they may not always go necessarily like into the detail that a tie-in novelization would do and they don't they never go into techno babble like next generation or voyager did but all the even if it's something that isn't spoken, the incidental details are, are there, aren't they? All the all the little bits and pieces. Absolutely, and I it's just a little jump ahead, but it really ties into what you're saying. Like I have really noticed the music with this series, and yeah. when they use TNG, when they use the Picard theme, when they use the Voyager theme, and like specifically when we see finally Elnor and Seven when they go to the artifact that had crashed down on the planet, like we hear very so slightly the Voyager theme when we see Elnor and Seven. And just those small nuances really, to me, show that they care about me, the fans, and that they care about the storyline and and that the music is just going to accentuate that even more. So I, I completely agree with you that... They really are paying attention to detail. Yeah, they are. They are, and you know, it's even even in the reference, even in the reference points, like the one that Raffi gives here when they decide they set off to, to you know, Capellia Station as as Soji remembers, and they need to go and find these these people. You know, Raffi talks about angry reptiloids and homicidal fungi. <laughs> you know, yes. nice, you know, they're cool little references, aren't they back? And she goes, that's a thing. <laughs> so, that's good. <laughs> uh, so because it was a thing, I was like, what is this thing? Cause I wasn't quite making the connection. I was thinking, um, on shades of gray where Riker was attacked by that plant, but I was like, no, that's not really it. So, um, they, it was someone said out there on the internet, uh, that it's a reference to the TOS conscious of a King where that fungus destroyed all of their food. And then governor Kodos had to kill half the population to save. And again, I really like that connection because that's another precursor to what Soji has to decide. Do you kill a life to save a life and getting bringing that conscience of a king tos episode into it really i think adds to it yeah that and that is i mean that really is quite a deep cut as well again you know it's 
Yeah, okay. It's the it's the original series, and I suppose you know when people have talked about deep cuts this season, things like um, the uh, oh, the the race from Prime Factors in Voyager, who I can't remember their name now, who had the the technology that the Borg assimilated. You know, that's a deep cut from you know that a lot of people wouldn't know about, and pe- more people may have seen TOS, but they, you know, I don't know if they'd really remember that from the Conscience of the King, you know. So it's right, yeah, yeah, it's that kind of detail, like you say, it ties in thematically as well, which is which is really good and really know, shows they know their trek in a big way. So yeah, it's 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 really cool, you know, things for for Trek fans to pick up on. But yeah, they. They obviously set off across this desert, this, the, the desert as part of this planet, and they uh, they head off to the artifact which has been brought down onto the surface, like the La Sirena, with no power. And uh, they're sticking together, and they're wondering about whether Hugh's alive. Poor Hugh, I'm still I'm still sad about Hugh. And then they get into the cube, and there's some of the XBs that uh, that are still there. And there's a couple of things here, because obviously this is where they reunite with Elnor. You get that lovely scene where Elnor just runs and hugs Picard, <laughs> which is really cute. But there's a couple of things. I mean, the first one is obviously Seven is on the cube, as we know, and she uh, and they, they all come back together. One of the comments of the episode is uh, that we'll, we'll talk about later, but it, it's worth bringing up here, is whether or not really Seven needed to be in this episode. And if... Whether or not her presence in this season beyond Stardust City Rag, which obviously had a main story, quite a good storyline for her, is really necessary. I mean, wh- where do you stand on this, Amy? Do you think that th- everything that we're seeing really, and what happened last week with her being, you know, plugged back into the Borg and all this kind of thing and bringing the artifact, could that have been Hugh had things been different? Hugh and Elnor doing this and not bring Seven back again? You know, that's very interesting. And it's like you're reading my notes because I have this question. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, really? Um, I haven't hacked. I haven't hacked you. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) But my question is, what help did the Borg Cube actually do? Because Seven's like, well, we thought you we we thought you needed our help. And I'm like, well, they didn't fire on Narek. They came down, crash landed, and, you know, are restoring power themselves. Like, what help did they do? And then as we see later in the episode, they do nothing beyond this scene. And so I'm like, they say their goodbyes, and now they have this new mission. What is this new mission that Picard so you know, gallantly says, well, it's your turn to save the world or whatever he says there. Like, what is their mission? I am so lost because you're right. Last week we got this amazing, you know, Borg Queen 7, which I absolutely loved. Again, I know fan service, but I was very happy for it. And I do think you do bring up a good point that it could have been Hugh. I like that it was 7. So we get this huge build up last week and then here oh, we thought you needed our help. They didn't really do anything. And now they said their goodbyes and they're off to save the galaxy. I don't understand that. And that's the largest flop on this whole story that I just, I do not understand. Well, let me have a go at reconciling this because I, <laughs> because I think maybe this is going to be a delayed, what you what you hoped for in this episode might be a delayed reaction here because my instinct at the end of this, because obviously 
you don't see Seven and Elnor again after this because they they just crop up as they go to the artifact and the the reason they go there is mainly I think to to get the the sensors working so they know that these 218 Romulan warbirds are on their way which adds that extra level of threat that's the main you could have if you didn't need if they could have found another way to find that out they they didn't need to go to the artifact at all they could have just the La Serena could have had a console working and they could have found it out on there and just gone to the station so it's a necessary diversion also to try and get Seven in there, which I suppose goes back to my point of... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, Jerry Ryan's great. The character's great. It's really nice to see her. Is she really that that functional to the story? I don't really think she is. But anyway, that's a separate thing. I think with this, the the cube is is going to be handy later. I think I think that it's being positioned so they will get that cube working. It will rise off the surface when those warbirds are there, and you'll have a scene. You'll have a you'll have something where the cube is in space, maybe with the La Sirena, and they're both taking on these this this fleet. You know, and in reality, two hundred and eighteen warbirds. You know, you you yeah. There's a lot. That's a lot of warbirds, but a Borg cube is pretty resilient. So. That board cube could do a lot of damage to that fleet, I think, on its own, really. So I well, think you if were... it gets, you know, complete, I mean, you need well, yeah. to remember it is still in repair mode and they That's only true. have 24 hours. Mm. How that much can true. they repair? Yeah. Well, well, yeah, maybe you may be right. But I think I think you might get it come to the rescue a bit more when the fleet arrives, possibly. Um, but. It's hard to say. the 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 other point I think was that they and and some people have raised whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, the XBs immediately see Picard and say Locutus, and he obviously freaks him out and this kind of thing. So and uh, there's been another point brought up as to whether or not they're labouring this point a bit too much about Locutus and that are uh, you know it, it it was in the impossible box. It was really good in that they they really tapped into Picard's latent sort of you know unresolved problems with the Borg which are going to haunt him till he dies but are they hammering this home a bit too much do you think are, is, are there too many oh Locutus references you know in this season no they they are not <laughs> absolutely not I mean definitely no <laughs> that, <laughs> because that's how the Borg know him. They don't know him mm. as Picard. How else would you address someone if you know them as Locutus? Like, yeah, that's true. And I, again, at the beginning, when Patrick Stewart came and announced and says there are, you know, effects and influences that 
are happening to Picard and they, you know, what happened in TNG is having an effect in real life. And so again, we hear the name Lacutus and he still is taken back. We know that it is, he's not quote unquote over it. And I love that because now we're getting away from this episodic, oh, that happened last week and I'm over it now. Like, no, there are ramifications mm-hmm. and I think it still is very important and they can bring on Lacutus as much as they want. Fair enough. Uh, you've given that a good <laughs> explanation there. I think I think there'd be a lot of people out there who would agree with you, definitely. Absolutely. I think I'm sort of in the middle, really. I think I don't want them to... I don't want them to overplay it too much and it, for it to be co- it, to lose its potency and to lose its power, you know, because Locutus is one of the great Star Trek stories of any any episode. It was, and you know, I, I, I when when it when it hits, it, it should mean something and it should really, you know, take you back. And it, I've really felt that in the Impossible Box, it really did. You know, all those moments where that brilliant visual where you see him looking at his old face as Locutus and it melds together which is probably the best visual moment of the entire season and that you know that the flashes to the Borg Queen and the whispered look it's great you know all that stuff is really good so yeah it's it's a it, yeah I'm, I'm I'm sort of in the middle so yeah the Borg Queen the Borg Cube will be back I think um, <laughs> okay I will reserve judgment until I see next week's uh, I think okay. you have me sold on that that we will good. see them again okay I'm glad you feel slightly better there that's good we'll, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll see so yeah obviously they've parked all that now and they head off and they get to Capella station and they meet the uh, um, the not the the, the 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 justice the justice people <laughs> yes. as we said earlier the, so the, can the, I... the commune yeah, can I talk real quick just because I mentioned it at the beginning like when they were going through the conduit and the the camera focused on Girardi, Picard, Rios and Soji, we get that same look and I think the director was just brilliant in doing that because with each time that they're panning, so like they're standing and and going to approach Capellius like it was the same thing when they were about ready to come out of the conduit. They're ready to approach this planet. And now we get the slow pan of the four, you know, people um, as they go to approach the city. And I just like that moment. And I was writing it down. I'm like, it's the same expressions of, you know, Soji having this hope of what she's going to meet and Rios is you know, ready to go with confidence. Like I just really liked the director's point to, to do that as they both at both scenes, they are approaching newness. I should point out actually, that's a really, really good observation there. I should point out as well that the director is Akiva Goldsman. I don't think I said that at the top of the episode, actually. He's one of the co-writers, obviously, and one of the main producers of the season. Um, so yeah, he directed this episode and I, I'm assuming he'll direct the finale as well because they tend to direct in blocks quite often don't they um so so yeah yeah he, he, he did do a good job there and I, th- I i i think they really created this world well i i liked you know this android colony i got that feeling of a quite unerring utopia to it definitely like, like you know you you mentioned justice and it is good you know it's a, a, a joke reference almost but it, it does fit absolutely and it does it have does. that that feeling of that TOS style sort of 60s commune vibe and this idea of it being this futuristic beautiful place you know almost almost like a a, a 24th century you know ancient Greece 
you know, that exactly. kind of, <laughs> yep. you know. Yeah, and it's this idea of utopian society, you know, Ooh. separated, doing what they want, you know, playing chess, kicking the ball around, you know, these higher level, what would cultured people be doing if they're not fighting and, you know, having wars? This is yep. a picture, a snapshot of what we get. And again, mm. just total TOS, TNG vibe. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, playing into that whole idea, really, of, in particularly in, in TNG, the, the, the idea that the 24th century was supposed to be the utopia. You know, the idea that that's what Gene Roddenberry wanted with TNG, that it was this perfect place where humans were perfect and they were sailing around the galaxy. And then Picard, you know, has just taken a complete bazooka to that, <laughs> to that idea. Um <laughs> And the, and that and that's part of the whole point, I think, of of showing a planet like this. In it's almost suggesting that the only the only way we're going to get to utopia now is if we become synthetics, and that we become machines. These these perfect quote unquote machines. And yeah, I suppose that's why it's even more of a potent choice to have Brent Spiner back as as we say, Alton Inigo Sung, the actual son of Noonien Sung. Now, I mean, this is quite a big thing, I think, in terms of next generation canon and continuity and revelation that Sung had a human son, which I don't know if that was ever known before, and that they've managed to get Spiner back, not as an android or not as a, you know, another form of data, but as a son, another Sung you know, part of that family. family. What do you make of yeah. this? Do you think this is a good, bad, in the middle choice? Okay, so I, it pains me to say, but I think this was the one that just pushed me over the edge, and I'm not sure I agree with it. Um, in part because, I mean, I have been attending conventions and listening to Brent Spiner, and everyone wants data to come back. And I mean, ever since. Uh, he died in Nemesis, right? And every time, way before Picard was even an idea, Brent Spiner would always say, well, Data can't come back. I have changed. I'm soft and I'm old and Data doesn't age. He has said that consistently almost every single year that I've seen him at conventions. And then to hear almost those exact same words come out of Alton Alton's character, well, I've gotten old and gone soft, you know? And I just like, that is perfect. That is exactly what Brent Spiner would say. So I'm almost okay with him coming back as the son, but I just... It's a little too much fan service. I like that he said, my father had me, but created Data. And so there's that distinction of where Soon's priorities were, um, which I think explains a lot too. So I'm sort of on the middle. I felt like it was a little too pushed just because I know how Brent Spiner has been talking the past decades. Is this another example of something that I've talked about on this podcast before in relation to Patrick Stewart? And is it a little bit more of an example of how the actors and the characters are blending together more and more the older they get? I've said I've said this, as I say, about Patrick Stewart and about how him and Picard are closer together now. But as you've well described there, this feels a little bit like Brent Spiner saying, yeah, I'll come back, but I, I, I'll, I need to play a character who's basically 
me yep, exactly. <laughs> me as as yep. sung you yep. know and that yes okay i know we saw him as data in in that first episode you know and, and obviously he's visibly older you know he doesn't look like the data that we we last saw in nemesis he's older he's you know he's with he, greatest of respect he's a bit fatter you know because mm-hmm. he's just an older man and i think the only reason they got away with that is because you do see data fleetingly in these sort of dream aspects you, you couldn't have brought the character back in the same way and have it work i, I agree with brent spiner in that sense yeah, yeah but it feels a little bit like is this a sung too far i suppose because <laughs> you know the the whole um the whole enterprise character of Eric sung where they tied him into uh you know the 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 legend of khan and the the genetic the augments and all this kind of thing and the eugenics yeah. wars mm-hmm. that was clever that was i thought that was a really interesting way of of really adding some dark shade to data's ancestry mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. This feels almost like the kind of character that I feel like there's probably so many TNG fans who are going, where's he come from? Like, all of uh, a sudden. <laughs> yes. Okay. You know? And so in my notes, I, again, have this question, like, do you literally know anyone that has been in the family business for this many generations? <laughs> And especially now yeah. in 2020, and you're going to tell me in the 24th century that people are doing what their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents did? I don't see that happening, but yet we're being asked to believe that with all the soons that Brent Spiner is playing. And what this all, absolutely, and what this also means is that Noonien Sung created Data and Law and B4 in the image of his own child, and the image of his flesh and blood son, which to me brings up a whole world of psychological problems. You know, it's almost like if I was Alton Sung, I would have been really angry that he basically wanted better sons than me. Like, you know, I wouldn't have gone into the same business. I, exactly. I <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. It's like, Dad, yeah. here I am. What are you doing over there? Here I am. Oh, man. Yeah, because this guy is presumably like, because Brent Spiner's, I think, 70 now. So you can assume that this character's roughly around the same age. So Data was, was created after. Data wasn't that old. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, when he was created, as far as I remember. So he's he's had a child. The child's maybe 10, 15 years old by the time Data and Laura created. How, what's that going to do to a child? You know, and that, I mean, 
that might actually if if Sung does turn out to be a, the what like the arch villain of this piece in some sense you know or involved in this it might make a twisted kind of sense if we get some dialogue later where he says you know my father never loved me you know blah 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 that I, I, in a way I quite I wouldn't mind that because I'd be a bit like okay that makes a level of sense now but listeners you heard it here first that is i want to see this now because it makes perfect sense and yeah poor alton i think it ties up and uh, you know the alternate fan theory now is that he is actually law in disguise which i've seen that on youtube i haven't gone into depth with that with the videos you know the endless videos but uh I, I don't know about that one. I, th- I think that would be a stretch because then you've also got, in a finale that's going to be packed with things going on, you've then got to explain who Law is, what that means, where he's come from, where he's been. And I just don't think they'd go down that road, yeah. to be honest. So yeah. I can't see that happening. So I have a question for you. We see Arcana. Arcana. Yeah. 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 And she's talking to Soji and she asks her a question, says, have you completed your mission? And Soji answers, yes. So, Tony, can you please enlighten me? What was Soji's mission <laughs> and how did she know that she completed it? Well, uh, again, this is me showing that I've only seen this once. So, like, I, I, I didn't pick up on that first time round. My guess would be that the mission was that she gets back home and... That that as simple as that maybe, and I mean all through this episode, it, it Soji is kind of, and I, I suppose there was a bit of this in the last episode as well. Soji's remembering as she sort of encounters, doesn't she describe it? It's like a hollow that she's watched, but she can't quite remember the details of. So as she as she sees Arcana, she remembers her name. She's like, oh, you're Arcana, of course, and it's like it's like all these memories are then switching back on in her head. So, but you know, if, if if that's the case, that the mission was that she gets back home, then who's who's programmed that, you know? But it feels like that Soji's sort of been led since the beginning. Sung talks, doesn't he, about how, you know, that they were, and Maddox talked about how they were sent out to try and figure out what happened with the Mars attack and that kind of thing. So, and they had that, they had a mission in that sense, but... The more I'm hmm. saying this, the more I feel it's unclear, Amy, definitely. I feel, yeah, okay, I feel like, so I'm not the only yeah. one with the question. <laughs> no, no, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, actually, yeah, this doesn't fully add up, does it? <laughs> so I think you might be onto something like that they were sent out to figure out the Mars attack. And if Soji brings Girardi here and Girardi has that secondhand account of the admonition, then in that sense, she would have fulfilled her mission. Is, how would she know that that was going to happen with Girati? That's the thing, because Girati was given that by O. Yeah, but when how- they sat down in the, the little mess hall and they, you know, discussed and they all revealed all the parts of the information. Ah, and so that's then true. that's yeah. when Soji found out that Girati had that uh, transfer. Yeah. yeah, 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 true. It's a little bit unclear. It's either that that we're going to find out more in the final episode, or there's a little bit of unclear plotting going on. I don't quite know yet. And this will be why watching this season back, I think, will be interesting, and watching it in a binge and actually seeing how some of these things connect up will be good. But um, but yeah, obviously we don't just meet yeah Sung. We meet as you say Arcana, and we meet Sutra as you've mentioned, which is a character also played by uh, Issa Briones, which is the almost complete opposite of Darge and Soji. She's this, <laughs> she looks the same, but she's this beguiling, seductive, 
quite she's quite quite um confident android who uh it was the sister of Jana who was the one who the girl who the Ibn Majid Riyasi ship encountered and you know w- was killed by his captain on the orders of uh, Commodore O and I suppose here we just we just get a lot of sort of contextualized information don't we we see you know as as she she you know she taps into the admonitions in in Girati's head this is sort of explaining quite a bit these scenes really and I suppose that's uh, maybe this is where some people have, fa- have felt, found this episode difficult because it, again it feels like there there's quite a lot to sort of rattle through and sort of tick off and explain the positions of all these characters Absolutely true. Because I watched it multiple times, you know, and I had to watch it with closed captioning. So I like to do a watch with no closed captioning and just, you know, get the flavor of it. And then on the second time, go through with closed captioning. And then the third time, take my notes. And so it was when I was taking my notes, I'm like, I really need to follow this logic because Sutra is making this point that well, the admonition, you know, the Romulans were foolish to try and figure out what it said. And, you know, basically they were on this wild goose chase because the admonition is really meant for synth brain, for synthetics. And so I'm like, okay, me and my logical mind, I need to try and figure this out. So I sort of was like trying to follow the pieces of how they make this jump into we need to exterminate all organics. And... So I just, real quick, I was like, okay, so it starts out the admonition that, you know, human organics have this search for perfection. And so I'm doing like, if A, then B, B, then C, then, you know, law of transitivity (laughs) for those mathematicians out there. So we're searching (laughs) for perfection um, and then perfection leads us to synthetic life. Now, synthetic life doesn't age, doesn't die, doesn't get sick. And so organics are going to kill that which they fear, and therefore they are going to destroy themselves. I got that from the mind meld with Girardi. So my question is, if we are going to destroy ourselves, how do we get to the jump that the synths need to kill organics? That is a good question. It feels like they are trying to get that get get that in first so destroy us before we can destroy them but if we destroy ourselves then what's the worry <laughs> why why not just leave us to our own annihilation yeah that's true yeah i just don't understand how we are destroying ourselves is it just by the fact that because we created since then that's the collective we are destroying ourselves because we were their creators but it says like there is uh, an alliance of synthetic life waiting for this signal. And then they put the signal embedded in the admonition that they are obviously going to build. And this admonition says that we will protect you. And so it sounds like if they send the signal, these superior synths are going to come and protect our cute little Capellius colony. But... Again, that last sentence says, your evolution will be their extinction. So putting the extinction on the synths, which then contradicts the previous of that the organics will destroy themselves. 
So just, that's just my logical mind going round in circles with the whole <laughs> admonition thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. When you when we spell it out like that, it doesn't quite make sense yet, does it? It feels like there's still some aspects to this we don't quite understand. I I I find it quite interesting just how obsessed this era of Star Trek seems to be with synthetic, organic, artificial intelligent life. You know, I mean, the the whole villain of of Discovery season two ended up being controlled, didn't it? You know, the the AI program um, that was in section thirty one, and now you've got what seems to be by the end of this episode that the villains might be this ancient or this this super powerful, you know, alliance of of of, of some sort of organic synthetic life, you know, synthetic life defeating organics. I wonder why that is. I wonder why because this said because in Trek of old particularly the 90s era of Trek, was very... Uh, maybe it's reflective of the age, because it was very positive about synthetic and organic life. You know, the, the 90s kind of Trek era was all about, you know, characters like Data, you know, like Seven with her Borg attachments coming to find humanity, like the Doctor in Voyager, who was a hologram, who was learning about becoming human. It seemed like they had a lot of hope, really, in that these organic, these these non-organic characters or these characters who were affected by synthetic upgrades and technology would actually, you know, be a real positive for society and for the Federation. But now, it's almost like we've gone back to the days. I mean, you know, TOS was very suspicious of technology in that sense, wasn't it? You know, all yes. machines were yeah. always dark, evil gods or they mm-hmm. were... Taking you know, <laughs> over things and... Con- yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, going, you know, looking at something like Vija in the, the motion picture, which obviously was not a villain in such, but it was considered this great, big, all-powerful threat. And it feels like we've gone back to that, don't you think, Now, I agree, in part because I just recently watched the Battlestar Galactica reboot. And I'm almost wondering, is Ronald D. Moore back on the writing staff? I mean, we're getting these (laughs) ancient synths that are coming, you know, and just this eternal time of way long ago is affecting now and the sins taking over and the destruction of humanity i'm like okay where's ronald Moore? he's hiding under a rock somewhere because it really does feel like that (laughs) and you're right it's like it's not that hopeful let's explore and let's work together and unite and be stronger together and be you know stronger with our differences than rather than you know pointing out how different we can be you know so i i completely agree with you it has changed yeah it's strange it is a bit strange really there's been quite a lot you mentioned battlestar galactica's interesting because there's been some criticism that this season and this storyline is actually ripping off both battlestar galactica and a game called mass effect which i admit i haven't played and i don't really know anything about and i know there are people listening who will understand that comparison far more than me i don't know if you've got any knowledge of that amy yeah i'm not really gamers as such so i don't really know a lot about that stuff so you know but i I think i think i just think it's one of those things where in the end with science fiction ideas do overlap you know in the end you get you will get worlds and ideas cross over and it's i think it's in the execution personally and so i I don't really see any issue with that battlestar galactica is a very different kind of show a very different texture a fantastic show by all means but a different texture, so I, I, I've, I haven't got an issue with that myself. But I, I am, I am very curious about why the writers do seem pretty terrified of of, of synthetic and 
life and technology and these kind of things in a way that they weren't back then. And I, I, it could be that I think maybe we're we're approaching a threshold in the real world where bio, bio upgrades and technology is reaching a point where this century there's going to be a lot more of that becoming a reality in our world, you know. And and I think maybe there is some anxiety about. You know, and, and we we saw that in the old days. You know, you only have to look at the Terminator franchise as a good example of a, <laughs> an evil yeah. AI, and that's influenced so many things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But Star Trek always didn't seem to have that view of the future. It always seemed to believe that you know we wouldn't get Skynet, we'd get data. And yes, I suppose yeah. maybe maybe the the point mm-hmm. of Picard is to reaffirm that in the end, mm-hmm. and that because all and maybe that's why hopefully Soji is going to make a good choice. To oh. reaffirm that idea. Oh, I can only hope so. Yes. Yeah. Her <laughs> I mean, dilemma is real, you know. Yeah. Well, it is because it's there is obviously stuff going on here. I mean, we get the scene then when Girati talks to um, Sung and he, he, you know, calls her out for killing Maddox, which is good because not many people are doing that. You know, people seem to be forgetting that she's actually killed a man in cold blood. That's mm-hmm. the- <laughs> Yeah, she's Agnes. She's nice. She's quite friend, you know, kooky and stuff. But she she is a killer. Let's let's yeah. not beat around the bush. Shame on her. Shame However, on you. Yeah, Alton had the claim. And again, I wanted to ask a question. Sorry, I'm asking so many questions, but you're doing a good I'm job. I'm sorry, I'm not answering them, them very well. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, soon says, why? Or my question is, why did the ban bring out the deceptive, devious side of Bruce Maddox? Like. What was it that Bruce did that was so devious to Capellius? I guess is my question. Well, my, I, I suppose maybe it was the fact that he sent Darge and Soji off and that he had his own kind of, oh. he wanted them to go and find out about Mars. May, that, that might be my only way of thinking about it. That, okay. And that wasn't part of the plan, presumably. You know, him and Sung uh-huh. were supposed to go off and create this utopia of androids, and then he does that, and then it causes the, 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 the schism, which leads him to go off to create his own base, and then that's the one that the Talshiar, the Zadvash, or whatever, finds. You know, that that's my only assumption. But again, it's... It feels sometimes, Amy, that the show skips a few clarification points here and there that would make some of these things make sense. And I I think most of it is explained. Like, you know, last episode, there was lots of explanation for things. But sometimes I think they they skip a couple of paces, you know. And this is probably one of them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because I I don't know. I mean, I like it, but then... Who did Bruce also send out Flower and Jana? Like that's mm, mm. you know four people that mm. went out, and it seemed like Bruce and Jana was way before Soji and Dodge. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Bruce yeah. did that deceptively and behind their backs as maybe. well. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe that could be it. Actually, yeah, that's true. But yeah, Alton is creating a golem, isn't he? As as, as Girati, Girati explains, which is based on jewish folklore the idea of the 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 sort of soulless monster created from mud which is the 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 classic uh description but in this case there is no mind transfer what what do you think he's up to here because he needs girati for this you know he he says you know you you you, this is your redemption and one of the things we talked about this podcast is that we, we felt like girati would need a redemption on this planet and that there'd be something where she either gives her life or she does something to save someone 
So what is she going to do? Is she going to is she going to transfer her consciousness into this golem? Yeah, who's who's consciousness though? I mean, would that be Well, Alton's? Would that be uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think it it when I heard this, it totally re, uh reminded me of uh early episode season 2 and I do apologize listeners. Uh, but it's the one where Data, and if you know him, is to love him, and he has that mind transfer from the one doctor with, they go down on this planet. Oh, I don't know. Oh, That's okay. Well, me. listeners, you're screaming at me. I, I know, I know. But it reminded me of that. But then also we see it in season seven, Inheritance, you know, where we have Juliana yeah. And her, yeah. yeah, was transferred over. And I love that Alton is like, you know, I build the bodies and Maddox does the, you know, the yeah. programming. And the mind, the, yeah. Yeah, Girardi can step in and fill that. But it's like, yeah, whose consciousness is going to get there? I, I don't know. I don't see that soon Alton has that much of an ego that he feels that he needs to preserve his life. But I don't see anyone else down there that's organic you know <laughs> yeah i know that's true and i you you it's maybe he's going to transfer his mind into a super sort of being who can be the i don't know the, the herald for this alliance of synthetic life you know and and be some sort of creature that they have to def- i don't know that they have to defeat it feels like that golem is definitely going to play a part and that maybe agnes will herself be faced with a choice in that she realizes she's she is you know Sung describes himself as a mad scientist remember jokingly at the beginning and maybe that's exactly what he is you know he's going to reanimate he's going to animate this life um with with a kind of technological black magic almost through Gerard. and maybe she will be there realizing oh my god what have i done you know i'm i'm and maybe that's where she'll give her life to stop this and to stop this creature possibly because i i i much as I, well, I'm on, I'm on two minds whether Alison Pilly's going to die in this because I think that they like the actress and they like the character, uh, but I kind of feel like I don't see any other way she can she can carry on. I can't see her in a second season because she's ultimately a killer, and I don't know how I don't know how you can just integrate her into this crew and it be okay, you know. So I feel like she ha- this has to be the end of her story in the next episode, but it's quite. Soji, I think, will will leave that planet and go with them and become part of that crew, to be honest. But Well, I think it sets up for a little forgiveness when Rafi sort of backs her up and says, oh, when, okay, so let me go back. When uh, Girardi <laughs> was saying that she was like out of her mind, she was just compelled to, and Rafi's like, yeah, she was out of her mind that day. Um, mm. So there mm. was just that one line that Rafi sort of came to her defense that maybe that's going to allow us, the audience, to accept her, that, you know, that insanity maybe. defense, if you will. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. But it still feels like Picard would insist she was like brought to justice. You know, that he would say, you have to go, you have to give yourself up. I can't imagine him... He's such a he's got such moral fortitude that I feel like he would not be able to get past that, and so I who knows who knows I mean I I, th- I think that will definitely she will be faced with a choice as well, um, but 
I think that's going to be key to a lot of it, really. Um, what did you think about what did you think about Spot Two? Actually, while we're talking about this, the uh, <laughs> the cat. I loved it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Please give me more. I mean, Orange Cat in Star Trek. Of course, it's Spot. So absolutely loved it. Well, and you know, we said. Alton, you know, missed the butterflies, so he created that, and now here we have Spot, you know. It, it just, mm. it makes sense to me. Yeah, it, it was good, wasn't it, really? Yeah. It was nice. And they, it feels like they, in that scene, they do try and get a little bit of, maybe maybe some sort of tie-off to the rios Jurati dynamic, which has been a strange one, I think, because obviously they they slept together, and they flirted, they slept together, and then it was kind of forgotten for the next couple of episodes. Uh, how do you think that's worked? Because I don't think... That's really, they knew what to do with that particularly. No, that should have never happened. I was so shocked when I saw that. I was like, what's going on? No, 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 no. (laughs) We don't need this in Star Trek, you know. And their relationship didn't add anything to their story. And so this is just their way of saying, okay, we're going to be done with them. You know, and Mm. I just, it... It added nothing to their character. It added nothing to the storyline. It really should have been left out, in my opinion. Yeah, it was It was odd. It yeah. was an odd choice, I think. But at least they pay some you know, lip service to that yeah, in this episode. Yeah, they do. So yeah, I'll give um, them that. So um, when they bring in Narek, right? And he's like, I to- I'm coming, I'm coming. And then they put him in the isolation you know, behind a force field. And I loved it. And he's like, you know, I need some water. Give me some water. It's in my bag. You know, he's just being a little snake that he is. And, you know, and he's like, is this how you treat prisoners? And uh, it's Saga who says, well, we've never had a prisoner. (laughs) How do the Romulans treat their prisoners? Yeah. Oh, and his look. And it just instantly... (laughs) I remembered Chain of Command. There are four lights and the torture that the card went through. And I was like, yeah, let's not talk about that. You know, let's change the subject. (laughs) But that's what instantly came to mind. It's just, I love, and I don't even know if the writers would intend that, but it's exactly where my mind went, which is another reason why I love this show, is that it just, the callbacks to TNG. And it's not even a callback. It's just where my mind naturally went. So... Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I, I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I like, I like a little bit more what they, what they've done with Narek in this. I, f- I feel like, you know, he's, he's not had much to do really since the Impossible Box. He's barely been in it until this point, and I think, you know, I've, I've got on record on this podcast of saying that him and his and Soji's relationship is easily the worst thing of this entire season for me. Um. It was awful, and it's we're way past that now, which is good. So his interactions with her are, you know, he's like the um, the, the the boyfriend who did something terrible, and he's like, "I'm really sorry, you know, I didn't mean it," and that kind of thing. And she's like, "Don't you talk to me," that kind of thing, which is which is good, which is appropriate. But it it feels to me like Narek could go one of two ways now, in that he will either double down on being a bad guy, or he will face himself some kind of redemptive story. And that he will turn when eventually, presumably, we'll see Narissa in the next episode with O, when the when the fleet arrives, he will turn on the on her, and he will go against his sister, and and try and save Soji or something like that. So he's he's in an interesting position because 
I think they've positioned him, you know, because obviously, you know, Sutra, who is pretty scheming, she sets him free, doesn't she? So, and he's, it seems like he's running off to the Borg cube. So there, there, where, where do you think that's going to go potentially with Narek? You know, I, at this point, I wrote in my notes, I'm so glad Narek is still the bad guy because I don't want to see that change. He's done way too many things knowingly uh, that, no, he's not going to get redemption. He was not. Anyway, so I don't, as of right now, he's still the bad guy and I'm totally fine with that. So it'll be interesting to see next week, like you say, what they do with his character because if they switch him, to me, it's going to be too little, too late. Yeah, probably. He's, he's uh, although I don't his I, bridge with me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't. Th- I don't think he killed Saga, though. I think that was Sutra who did that. That that's that's my guess. I because I, you don't see him do it, so that to me that suggests that that was part of whatever plan she's got, whatever she's yeah. up to. Um, she's yeah, the mastermind. As I watch mm. this, and I'm wondering because they're supposed to be in twins who Sutra's twin is. Is she going to be the it good was Jana, one or I think. another? Oh, that's was... right. They did say Jana. That's right. Yeah, that's right. it was yeah. Jana. Yeah. But presumably Jana would have been the good one, you know, that yeah. Jana was, was, the, was the nice one, was the good one, and she was killed and Sutra mm-hmm. was the evil one. And I suppose that's how they've tried to suggest it with Soji and Darge, in that Darge was the good one and she died. Yeah. And Soji is the, the destroyer, quote right. unquote. Yeah. Um, and that she's headed for this dark destiny. Which, hmm. But that's the thing. That's the kind of... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Duality that's inherent mm-hmm. in this storyline and the idea that maybe Soji's path isn't completely set. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's funny actually because I suppose that's been a recurring thing, hasn't it, throughout this season? Yeah, it People has. who are in a dark place who, who, who are who are not necessarily on the path that they thought they were. And you can apply this to... Everyone from Girati with, you know, her killing Maddox. And, and then you, there is that scene later with Picard where they, they, they talk through the morality of it, don't they? And, you know, there's a little bit of a back and forth. So they're wrestling with that. And even down to the level of, you know, Rafi and her drug addiction and her relationship with her son and Rios with his demons about the Ibn Majid, they've all, you know, as Picard said in Nepenthe, you know, they've got a lot of baggage. Yes. <laughs> they've all gone through this. And I suppose it's a, that's a nice con, con concurrent theme with all these characters isn't it that they're sort of fighting maybe with their own dark destinies i guess and where they feel like their life is pulling them towards and soji is the ultimate of that because she could destroy the universe or whatever and it's only when you think about it that you realize actually that does i think that's been quite well mapped out for me it's interesting to see sutra again use this logic to you know take a life we're gonna have to kill the organics otherwise we don't survive and just this black and white take on this very complex concept you know is so it's terrifying actually and how she's able to rally the entire 
you know, Capellius, and then to lock up Picard so that he can't sway anyone else. Like that is eerily scary, especially thinking about sort of where we are now in today's life. Like what are we doing with dissenters and how are we treating them? And are we making things too black and white when there's layers of gray in there? So I just, I found that, you know, she, she made a very compelling argument and logically it's very sound. The organics are always going to hunt us. They're always going to want to kill us. They're always going to fear us because we don't age and die. We learn that from admonition. So in order for us to have any kind of peace, then we're going to build this beacon and we're going to create our federation with this higher power synthetic life form. Like, And there's no room for organics. It's just very, very scary how black and white she makes it. Yeah, and that's where you'd hope that they've done enough work with Soji and Soji has seen enough of humanity in, you know, in, in being with Picard, particularly on the Penthe as well, particularly with Kestre, you know, characters like that and the, and that family to see how that's not as black and white as Sutra has only ever grown up with androids and with Sung and, you know, all this, that Soji's had this life experience that she realizes there is more to it. But it's 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 well in that sense you know it's it's very well layered in. There's a lot of stuff there, and there are some really interesting ideas for sure uh, about about where this is all going. So yeah, it's it leaves obviously yeah Picard in jail, Girati, and this is why she's up to something with Sung because he very quickly turns around and goes, yeah, don't lock her up. You know, she's like our mother. He's obviously they've obviously cooked something up here, so that's why he's you know and. Yeah, it's like you say, they're preparing to send out this beacon and it's um, it's all going to go off. And then you get the final moment, don't you, of the, the massive Romulan fleet travelling through the conduit with Commodore O in a full-on, you know, long, long gone is the Starfleet uniform now. She's in full yes. <laughs> evil Romulan robes. <laughs> and that she's coming, really. But the, I suppose the ending does add an extra complexion as to whether or not they are now the bad guys, in a way, the Zadvash. They've done terrible things, don't get me wrong, and they're not good guys. But are they actually going to, in a weird way, be look trying to protect the human characters in this story? Yeah, that's the twist that I just mm. didn't even see because... yeah. I- we, uh, you know, we are conditioned to hate the Romulans, blah, blah, blah. And here <laughs> yeah. we are hating the Romulans all through the season. Like, I never liked Narek and and Commodore O. And we're seeing the evilness of the Romulans and what they're doing. And and now they were the ones who were right to sort of attack the synths and to save humanity from, quote, unquote, ourselves. I It's... Very, very interesting, and I'm not going to say I love it or that that's exactly what it is because I want to wait until next week. But I'm, I think the twist is very, very interesting how that has now gone yeah. to the synths. Absolutely, yeah, it does really throw it all into question. I think in terms of how this is going to work, uh, it's a good, it's a good cliffhanger. It's a really good moment. I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's well staged. You know, it really does leave you going, "Oh, what is going to happen now?" So yeah, it's 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 well put together at the end. I think with Sutra, I was so blown over by her character and how she seems to be 
a little bit more superior than Dodge and Soji. Like yeah. she's the next, you know, model, if you will. And mm. she, when she was talking and rallying, you know, the troops, like she was just so confident. And like you said, killing Saga with oh, that butterfly pin or hummingbird pin, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, mm. the, the conniving and the strategizing to get her people to follow her and to lock up Picard and to get the peer pressure of Soji to follow her and soon to follow her. And like, it just, it really felt like a God complex and she was the one yeah. who's going to save them. No, Picard's mm. plan isn't going to work. I, it is my plan. And it was when, Again, I didn't really know for sure what the word hubris was until we heard it. <laughs> You're effing hubris. I had to go look that <laughs> yeah. up. But, you know, hubris, Sutra's got it, man. She is mm. this God complex. She's got the hubris. She's going to save everyone because she can. Yeah. She's going to save all the sins and no other plan except hers. And I was like, whoa, that's some hubris right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe... Um... Clancy will turn up with a Starfleet like fleet and sh- <laughs> and point that out to her. <laughs> They're her still again. hanging out at Deep Space Twelve. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So well, should we get into some fan feedback then before we go and talk oh, about what people yes. think? So yeah, thank you to everyone on the Make It So uh, Facebook group uh, who've contributed their thoughts about this episode. Firstly, let's uh, go to Helm Holtz Watson, who said, this is such an interesting feeling watching this episode as I worry about real life issues at the moment, giving me a completely different, unique perspective on things, obviously referencing the uh, coronavirus outbreak, which is happening right now. Um, For those of you in the future, um, the future where we've got past this, (laughs) you're listening down the road. After last week's episode, I had the feeling the Zap Vash was not just your obvious clear cut evil enemy. And today's episode has proven that. Um, yet again, I have no predictions for next week's episode, and that's why I have enjoyed Picard so much. The whole story is coming together beautifully, and this podcast has made the experience even more enjoyable. That's a lovely thing to say. Thank you very much. That's really nice. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I, I I agree with him. I think it's been, in some ways, it's been hard to predict. You know, it, it's it has every week left you often going, I wonder where this is going to go, and and I. I appreciate that actually, because because that to me shows that the plotting has been pretty good, you know, throughout this season. Michael Bentley says it reminded me of a certain story in Enterprise. Oh, we may have mentioned that earlier, possibly. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel it may be something more complex and unexpected than that. Please hurry up next Friday, and I do hope the season doesn't end on a cliffhanger. Well, from what Michael Chabon has said, it is going to sort of. L- I think that this season is going to set up season two in some respect. So it's whether or not it will just carry this on or it will be a new story. It's hard to say. Yeah, I'm feeling that this storyline, and I could be totally wrong, just a gut feeling that the story is going to continue, that it's going to be not so much a cliffhanger like Best of Both Worlds. It's... Not because the story I feel will have some conclusion to certain parts of it, but like you're mentioning, mentioning like the Borg and the Borg Cube, maybe that's going to be season two. 
Um, I think it's more along the lines of a cliffhanger, sort of, of Discovery, where you see the 1701. But I felt like in Discovery, season two was so unconnected to season one. I think in Picard, season two is still going to follow the storyline that's already been set up. But So that's that's my take on that yeah I, I i think you may be right to be honest i do I, I was i was at first thinking they might be quite separate entities but i'm not so sure i think there's going to be they've got a lot to do in 50 55 minutes and i suspect that they won't just draw a complete dividing line and and you know start again and this is from what i've been picking up on various things as well so yeah i think you're right Craig McKenzie, who was our guest for a couple of episodes this season, um, it's got a dip, slightly different take. I didn't like this one, Craig says. Answers have come too late to allow for anything beyond surface-level exploration. There's no sense of culture to the android planet, which might be acceptable for a planet of the week, but we've spent all season getting here, so there should be more to it than we got. Sutra was an obvious villain right from the minute she was introduced and did nothing to rise above that. The new Sung didn't have much to him and was saddled with some really awful dialogue that not even Brent Spiner could make work. If he hadn't been played by Spiner, then I suspect he would have been totally forgettable. I mean, I think... I do... I mean, as always, Craig makes some really good points. And I I do quite often agree with him. I don't know if I do in this case. Certainly about the planet itself. I get what what he's saying, but I think to have done that, I think you would have needed to really spend half the season on this world. And I don't... And that would have changed the dynamics of the storyline. It would have meant you wouldn't have had the surprise of getting to this planet. And I so I don't know if it's entirely fair to say that it's not built up enough because I don't really think we've had enough time to do that in that sense. And I think given how long we were there, I think it gave a decent little complexion to it, really. Um, he may have more of a point about Sung, admittedly, because if there, there is one area I think has been lacking at times, it is dialogue <laughs> in this season. So I don't know. Do you think he, he was poorly written or anything along those lines well like i said from what i've heard spiner say about coming back as data like to me it was a perfect fit that he you know was like gotten old and gone soft like literally brent spiner has said those words i swear it and so to me the dialogue fit exactly brent spiner who's playing soon so to me it worked just but again i have that background of attending conventions for years and years yeah exactly you've seen that you've seen him talk about that so yeah Yeah. so yeah we'll we'll see what happens in the next episode in terms of his performance i guess craig continues picard's speech about forcing the federation to listen shows that he's not been paying attention to anything that's been going on we also need to stop blaming his brain abnormality uh for him to be inconsistently written i think i i rational i rationalize this on this thread in that i think it's possibly more about Picard, not necessarily a symptom of the aromatic syndrome, as we talked about, or a, or bad writing in any way. I think it's more that Picard just refuses to believe that the Federation won't do the right thing. And it, it's more maybe some level of his own delusion as somebody who is so rooted within what he what his Federation was that he can't quite imagine that they won't do the right thing in this situation. Whereas Sung just doesn't think that at all. You know, he thinks too too much time has passed. They're a different entity now. And Picard quite can't figure, can't rationalize that. Where do you stand on that, Amy? Do you have any opinion there? Absolutely. And Craig, I agree that 
John Luke Picard is the definition of insanity. When he's standing and talking to, you know, the 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 sense there, uh, Copelius. Oh, how do you say that again? Mm. Cape- yeah, Capelius. Yeah, Capelius. Yeah. I'm like, are you? crazy what are you saying that you're gonna go (laughs) what he should have said and i came up with a wonderful solution that would still uh, keep his utopia and idealistic uh, philosophy of federation but yet be viable okay it's just ridiculous what he's saying um what he should have said is like listen we need to get you out of this system. Let's get in La Serena. Let's get some time. Let's go to this new place. You send out your beacon. And just we just need some time. And then I can go to the Federation, say, with Soji, and be that emissary between the two and, and build, a, build a treaty. Yeah. yeah and yeah, say, yeah. here are the synths. And... Uh, by the way, the synths are now all powerful. They have these, you know, ancient synths that are there to protect them. You want to go and attack? Then you do. You will die. Choose to live, right? So I think that would have been a way better solution. And yeah, the writing on that was just terrible. But I get your point, Tony, where Picard just is so ingrained on Federation always doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it could be a mix of all these things. Really, it could well be. Uh, I, th- I think he makes a good point, but I don't think I think it's intentional. I don't think it's any kind of bad writing or bad structuring of it. I think it's very much in step with what they what Picard is going through in whatever way. But yeah, Craig finishes up really by saying, "I don't want to be completely negative, so I'll say that the space flower action sequence was nicely wacky." <laughs> That's true. But uh, yeah, next up, uh, Colleen Costello has a few good points. She says, uh, I was lukewarm on her at first, but I've completely changed my mind. Michelle Hurd is killing it. And I agree, actually. I, I just think that she's she's warmed up a bit as Raffi. And I think the writing of Raffi has got a little bit better towards the end of this season. So Yeah, wasn't that amazing? I love you. Well, you don't have to say it back. Well, unless you want to. Like, y- yeah. It yeah, was brilliant, yeah. that scene. She's... I'm starting to find her a lot more endearing now, Rafi, than I did at the beginning. And I think that kind of interaction definitely was was very sweet, you know, in that she sees him like a father. And he he also sees it... And there's been a lot of criticism about how he's treated Rafi this season. And I think they do need, in season two, to do more with those two together. And I think this could be a seed of that, potentially. So yeah, that was nice. She says, Elnor isn't doing enough in this episode. Let's get rid of his sleeves, face palm. Elnor hasn't done much enough this whole season, but I think we've got he's a play we've we've got him. They'll do more with him next year. I th- <laughs> I think really. Picard telling Elnor that he was dying deserved a better scene than it got. Uh, I, I care way more about that than Rios telling Agnes that she's unforgettable. That's a good point, really. Yeah. Um I think I think there's some truth to that. And I think that's a sac- part of the fact there's so much going on that they don't really have a lot of time to do that. Sutra's not wrong about making a run for it. I'm having a hard time believing they could outrun a fleet of warbirds. That seems like a half-assed plan. And Picard obviously hasn't learned anything about making grandiose promises. You'd better hustle it up with that redemption art, Narek. The end of days is upon us and it's kind of your fault. Uh, kind of. <laughs> kind of. I hate to say it, but unless they're planning to carry this storyline into the next season, it's going to feel really rushed. Again, I think we need to wait and see what happens next week, to be honest. And I think we need to watch, we need to look at this as a whole season picture and then 
analyze a little bit but good thoughts colleen definitely thank you and um lastly brett williams says uh another episode that he's more okay roughly but another episode that is more set up for the one that follows than it is its own episode but i still really enjoyed it so the prophecy of the one who dies or the destroyer in quote marks maybe isn't soji at all the data like soji i assume she's the twin of the girl rios's captain shot which yeah she is jana uh, so sutra we're talking about um she definitely has destroyer vibes how does this little settlement of synths not have more better defences and why did none of them come looking for the crashed ship or even a big-ass Borg cube? So many mixed emotions for next week. Can't wait to see how it all plays out, but I can't believe it's over. Can't say I'm a big fan of these truncated seasons, quote-unquote. We're getting now with the Trek universe. But oh well, I plan to soak up every minute, then watch it all again with the wife because she wanted to wait and binge. <laughs> That's nice. I think that sums it up really quite well. It's... um. It has gone really fast, doesn't it? Don't you think? We're on episode nine now. We've got one yeah. more. It doesn't feel like two seconds before the season was airing. I know. And like when I go back and watch my TNG, you know, because I talk <laughs> about it on Earl Grey and yeah. I'm going through the seasons and I'm like, oh my gosh, 26 episodes, you know, and <laughs> oh, those were the days, Tony. Those oh, yeah. were the days. They were, they were, they definitely were. How did we find the time to watch all of that stuff? <laughs> like, but, but then back then, back then, you'd like nowadays, like literally every, almost every day, there is a brand new TV series season of something that is immediately dropping 10 episodes. Back then you'd have like mm-hmm. three or four shows a year <laughs> that you would watch. Yes. So it was a different world, wasn't it? Basically. Yes. But thanks guys for those thoughts. Some really, really interesting uh comments there and as ever the show is you know polarizing to some extent but i think that's great i think it's 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 good that we've that everyone's got different opinions and we're seeing these things differently and amy it's been just a really great time talking to you about uh et in arcadia ego this this part one of the finale so i can't thank you enough for joining me on make it so thank you so much i really loved our discussion and how in depth we were able to get and yeah. thank you for answering all of my questions <laughs> it sure did give you a lot <laughs> well attempting to answer and probably i will be wrong on almost every single one i would bet money on it but uh, but no, thank you for being so... You're very data-like in how inquisitive you are, so it's oh. great. Uh, <laughs> well, thank <laughs> very you. Very fitting, really. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, you're going to be um, very much data-like on all your other Trek podcasts and things like that. So why don't you, um, before we go, point people towards where they can find you and tell us what you're up to in uh, the next uh, few weeks and such. Okay, well, you can find me on Trek FM where I host... Earl Grey, which is about the next generation. I do that with my good uh, friend, Joe Keegan. And we are looking at some time travel episodes that's coming up from actually the Uh fan collection set. Uh, We're going to be having actually one of our uh, listeners come on and quiz us with some trivia questions. So we've got some fun (laughs) things coming up on Earl Grey. Very good. And on United Federation of Podcasts, uh, there uh, I host All Good Things with my good friend Patrick Devlin, and we currently are covering Picard, but when we don't have new Star Trek on, then we are going to open it up to the entire Trek universe and 
do a lot of episode comparisons between series because my strength is next gen. And so I want to, you know, maybe compare with Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, you know, the others. So to expand my knowledge, it's sort of a selfish reason, but, you know, it's there. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Sounds really good. Yeah. Sounds very in-depth. So they're brilliant. Check check those out, guys. I think anyone listening to Make It So hasn't checked that. I was going to say trekked out. Perfect. What a pun I've created there without realizing. (laughs) Anyone who hasn't trekked out those (laughs) those podcasts, um, you need to get on it, guys, because they're fab. So make sure you do that um, in two fantastic networks. And uh, obviously, remember our network at uh, We Made This Pod, uh, which you can find on Twitter and www.wemadethispod.com, where all our podcasts for various different uh, shows, which we'll give you a taster of at the end of this episode, are, are, are there you'll find lots of other things um to enjoy and uh, you can find me at aj black writer on twitter if you really want to uh seek me out you, you're on twitter amy aren't you they can, they can find you on there as well i'm assuming yeah you can find me on twitter at miss amy nelson nice and simple excellent yes. good stuff so yeah it's uh it's been a real pleasure amy thank you and I won't be back probably next week. I did say that last week. So who knows? Who knows what's going on? The world is topsy-turvy. But Kurt should be back from his uh, mission to take out Commodore O. We'll see how he gets on with that next week um, with another brand new guest for the season finale. And then uh, we'll both come back, as I said last week, to talk about the season as a whole after that. So uh, please do join us again. Thank you for listening. So we're going to open up a transport conduit, head in and engage previously on the we made this network fast furious and a bottle of corona so andrew as our guest what's the uh, first flavor you're going to uh, bring to the meal so i think it's impossible when you're talking about the fast and foolishness to discuss too fast too foolish without talking about tyrese gibson right yes. he yeah, is the heart and soul of this movie if this was a sports team he'd be your Kawhi Leonard he'd be your Wayne Rooney well no we don't talk about him anymore he'd be (laughs) this franchise if nothing else finds its way of bringing you a diverse set of characters while putting Paul Walker in the middle and you leave the movie not caring Paul Walker exists (laughs) right pick up a podcast literally kicked the door open to their dressing room ran in grabbed a pack of plastic champagne flutes screamed victory and ran out again (laughs) fantastic and i I was just stood there next to the door because i didn't know what was going on and the drummer from from the band just walked out looked at me and was like what what i was like i don't know without a mouse i don't think he's as good as Dennis Quaid. No. He's not charming. No, Dennis Quaid has that likability. Yeah. You can imagine him being a uh, dad. He, he has that, oh, shucks, I've got a cowboy hat. I sort of don't know what I'm doing, but I'll bumble through it sort of charm. Yeah. Whereas this guy is just a bit slightly aggressive, I'd say. He did have another child, but they're currently rolled up in a carpet in his cupboard. Yeah. Right. This is the kind of vibe he's giving off. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network. Make It So, a Star Trek Picard podcast, was created and is produced and hosted by Tony Black and Kurt North. 
You can find the show on Twitter at Jean-Luc Poddard and on Facebook in the Make It So, a Star Trek podcast fan group discussion group. Check out the We Made This Network at We Made This Pod on Twitter and on Facebook by typing in We Made This and you can find all of our shows on our website www.wemadethispod.com Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.